Movie Sucktastic is a podcast about bad movies and the people that love them. But it's more than just a podcast. It's an also an online presence. If you want to know more about Movie Sucktastic or want to become a part of Movie Sucktastic, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, at Movie Sucktastic. You can find our blog at boothreviews.blogspot.com. Or if you want to give your own reviews that we might use on the show, you can go to reviews.moviesucktastic.com and check out our, our own little lunch.com community for Movie Sucktastic. Check us out and become a part of the show because the only thing more fun than a bad movie is sharing it. The name that means excitement is back. Bond. James Bond. That girl must be very talented. Shoot up. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. Mm. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. Wherever he goes, adventure follows. Two of our men are dead. Koskov's name to you. Then I must die. Eliminate him. Killing! for the moment. He lives on the edge. Whoever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights. I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. See you in hell! <laughs> this private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You're going after Sanchez, aren't you? Are you crazy? Make a sound, and you're dead. No! Your license to kill is revoked. Effective immediately. In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. Problem solved. I'm more of a problem eliminator. <laughs> This is where it ends, Commander. He's got to be stopped. Listening to Movie Sucktastic. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my.
Furthermore, you can all go fuck yourselves. We'll do it live. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Fucking thing sucks! Hello everybody, welcome to Movie Sucktastic on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Yes, it is... Da, da, da. Uh, yeah, we are recording on a Sunday because Thanksgiving happened to be Thursday, and that kind of threw out our normal Thursday recording uh, times. So, uh, welcome everybody. Glad you can join oh. us. How you doing, Scott? Oh, I'm doing just peachy, sir. How yeah, about just you? Doing peachy? I'm doing all right. I, I just uh, sat through on films. Of course, I'm doing peachy. <laughs> Plus, I saw Skyfall as well, so I can talk a little bit about that without spoiling anything for you. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, my wife actually got to see Skyfall as well. Oh. And, um, yes, she got to see both. And, well, you know, or she got to see Skyfall. And she said, Joey, this movie's, you're gonna, she said I was going to love it. Oh, you will. Yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, good, good fun. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Well, anyway. What? Watch this uh, well, th yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. I'm not. Please. Yeah, I'm not. Let me turn my phone off. <laughs> so, so you were gonna yes, needle yeah, pulling what thread. I'm, What's going on? Well, I'm setting up uh, the living daylights right now in the background. Oh, oh, yes. okay. Including what's got to be. Living Daylights. Why are you playing Living Daylights? Oh, Living Daylights, yeah. I got, I got them both set up. Including what's got to be one of the worst opening uh, credit sequences ever. Which one? The one Living Daylights? Living Daylights, yes. <laughs> oh. The, you know, James Bond is always known for their opening title sequences. You're, you're talking about after the opening scene happens, and yeah. then it goes with, like, the dancing girls and all that stuff. Is that what you're talking I, about? Yeah, Dancing Girls to be expected, but this one's really just kind of, it looks like somebody shot it at the last minute. I mean... They're like, oh it's, shit, it's, we always have one of those openings. We didn't do it yet. <laughs> the movie opens up next week. Uh, no, it de definitely felt that way. Um, <clears throat> I, I will say this. I will say yeah? this. Be between the two films, before we even hang start on, talking on. about either one of them. Okay. Uh, between the two films... I have to say, I enjoyed *License to Kill* more, and we'll get into yeah, that. definitely. We'll get into I, I'd that. Say between the two of them, it's the it's the better of the two, sure. Uh, I found the first one to be quite boring, or *The Living Daylights* to be pretty boring. Mm -hmm. For a James Bond film, it, it moved very slow. It moved very very slow, and it just—you could tell what they were going for was. A new Bond. Right. Because Roger Moore, the previous film was Viewed to a Kill. Uh, it didn't do well financially. It wasn't oh, the received song did well. Great. 
everyone oh, loved yeah. the song. Sure, I mean Paul McCartney. Come on, and um, and the reason the reason that no, it's Duran Duran, dude. Beauty to Kill. Oh Duran God, Duran. that's right. Uh, I'm thinking. You're of thinking Live and Let Die. Yeah, Live and Let Die. <clears throat> now, but the, the <clears throat> pardon me. The reason we are stuck. I, I'm I'm watching the opening credits and, and it's like, wait a minute. Um, Wasn't you, the so you, you living, want the Living you, Daylights you was what? done by Aha. Right, it's like, what, what the hell is this? And, uh-huh. They tried to get lightning in a why bottle you... twice. <laughs> right, why, why, do we, why am I listening to Aha to begin with Bond film? And what happened was the producers, since Living Daylights didn't do well, but the song did so well, they wanted something that was a bit more trendy. Right. And, and so the, um, uh, the pretenders who, were, who did the other music in, in Living Daylight, in uh, License to Kill, <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. The, the the pretenders who did the other music in Living Daylights, right? Uh, there are songs at the end credits, and they uh, were going to do the opening song, but they nixed it and said, "No, no, we need something trendier." What's Aha up to? Right. <laughs> what are they doing? And you know what? Between uh, giant <clears throat> hits for Aha, I think it was really only about three or four years. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this one wasn't one of them. No, 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 no. It definitely wasn't one of them. But they kind of figured, well, you know, they're still kind of relevant. They're an, it's an 80s movie. It's an 80s band. Their uh, biggest, uh, their big, big hit was only, what was it, Take On Me? That might have only been the year or two before, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, when you do a song like Take On Me, you don't, you don't do another song like that. Well, um, you don't. I think they should add James Bond, like, in the comic book realm, in that whole opening, that would have made more sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it definitely. What I felt was, <clears throat> due to a kill, didn't do well. They didn't want Roger Moore uh, to be bonded uh, again. No, he, he turned was, it down. He they were originally. Well, the, the story is that he was fifty nine, and they didn't want to go with it. He said he turned it down. I well, think. To make himself look a little better, but I don't think they were going to go with a 60, 70, uh, 60, 61 year old James Bond. The original screenplay was for him, and then they had to change it when, when he. When to a kill didn't do well? Out. What? No, when he backed out. See, I don't know. I, well, I mean, and that could very well be, but I. I, I did a little bit of research, and there's a lot of conflicting stories. I did stories research too, and I, I read that yeah. because the film wasn't financially a success, and he had done seven already. They wanted to move on it. Uh, they just wanted to move on. They didn't think an eighth film. Because uh, think of it this Boss. way. They wrote, this film was probably in the works, uh, even though View to a Kill was coming out. And they had every intention of giving it to Moore if it did well. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they had everything going for it. They had the Duran Duran song. They had Christopher Walken, you know, Roger Moore. And it's it just, all these puzzle pieces just didn't work just didn't work so i just get the feeling that i think we're both right a little bit i blame grace jones grace grace jones was in it uh no i i what i this is how i think it went was it grace I, jones or Bridget? it was grace jones right it was yeah. Grace jones yeah yeah it was grace jones. yeah i'm right we're not reviewing that so i didn't watch it again um. <laughs> uh but as far as the film goes for the living daylights uh i didn't i didn't hate it I just didn't, I, I, it just I did. was it just kind of um, boring. <clears throat> I found it more boring than anything well, else. Well, the opening, the opening sequence, the introduction of Bond, where they have the, the three 007s training coming down, uh, parachuting right. in a in an exercise, 
uh, military exercise, and it turns out not to be an exercise because there's like a rogue person that's taking advantage of the exercise to not really clear what the hell he was doing. He's oh, yeah, killing he, spies. Yes, he was, he was, that was his he was whole thing. He was killing spies. That's right. They said they tell you later. That's right. Um, which seems kind of a weird place to do it. I don't know. Yeah. That's just me. Well, that's but where they the are, whole, so it's kind of an easy whole, place to do it. The whole, uh, it ends up with <clears throat> Timothy Dalton on top of the truck as he's driving it, and then he gets inside, and then they drive it off the cliff. And then it takes 17 seconds for this truck to hit the water from the cliff. <laughs> okay. During, you know, during, when I, when I was during, <laughs> that, during that 17 seconds, we have probably one of the more confusing uh, edits there that try to to try to make it make us believe that he pops a secondary shoot and gets out of the truck. Well, that exact scene is on <clears throat> right now because I have the movie on, and there it is. Yeah. It, and as you know, no. when they cut away, it should be hitting water. It, by now, at least by now, I timed and it. And it just keeps going, 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 going. <laughs> and also, when they cut away and cut back, the truck's still hovering in the same spot in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and then it blows he, up before it even hits the water. And he uses a secondary chute, even though it was shown open in, a pre, in an earlier scene when he was right. coming down. But, but I mean, if you can't really, you can break it apart like that. What you know, what we just did, you can. <clears throat> But you can do that in just about every single Bond film. That happens well, in every... Si All right. Take the <coughs> first uh, Pierce Brosnan Bond film Was that that he was in. Was that Goldeneye? Yes. Okay. The, the plane scene alone where he jumps out without a shoot? Yeah. Just not possible. It's just, not, what, yeah. But, it's but not physically possible what he did but there. It, but it looked good, and that scene, and that <laughs> Timothy Dalton scene well, didn't look good. It looked ham-fisted, and well, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, but they were going for the big, you know, opening. I, 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 I don't want to shit on them for trying to keep the, the Bond, the crazy opening tradition alive before the credits roll to tell you, you know, you know Albert R. Broccoli and, and the Living Daylights is the title and, right. you know, starring blah, who blah, blah, and this blah. and all that, blah, blah, blah. The naked, uh, you know, silhouette girls. You know all of that stuff. I um, well, well, Living Daylights was the last uh, Albert no, R. Broccoli. I think the last produced Albert R. Broccoli was Licensed to Kill, and then they said the very next Albert R. Broccoli. No, I'm sorry. Uh, the last Ian Fleming one was it's the last Licensed Ian Fleming to Kill, book. and then yeah, uh, they didn't Octopus they didn't use his name again until uh, Casino Royale. Well, they didn't use any of the titles of his novels until then. Mm -hmm. That this is the last, the last actual title. And this is a short story from Octopussy and uh, the Living Daylights. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so they took the short. The short story is basically the beginning and the end of the movie. Okay. And then everything else in the middle is what stuff they threw in there. Yeah. And so this is the last. This will be the last James Ian Fleming book title or short story title that they used until they started redoing them again with Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, yes. Now, let's get back to that opening uh, girl sequence. Which is on now. Um, <laughs> it's so bad. Did they show the part where they're, they're, uh, with the uh, women women skeet shooting? Uh, no. Women <laughs> lying yet. in one corner and then the guns shooting right at them? Uh. <laughs> now, and, and they got in trouble with, the, if you don't remember, the Living Daylights uh, got in trouble for their movie poster. If you look up the Living Daylights movie poster, mm -hmm. it's a shot of Bond in the barrel, as normal, yeah. shooting, as normal. And in the foreground, there's like the silhouette. There's a, well, not a silhouette. It's a partial 
like a body half torso shot of a woman holding a gun. And okay. if you look at the poster and just take this perspective of the two shots, it looks like James Bond shooting a woman. Oh, they made a big deal about that, huh? They got in a lot of trouble for that because of the whole uh, violence towards women thing. And never mind that you also have skeet shooting women coming this out is of... A, this is the poster where she's uh, in a white like yes. white dress? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, they got in trouble for that. But then, then next Bond, they had the same thing where there's a gun... And then women run in front of it, and bam! And the girls go like flying, right. in the in the opening sequence. They keep doing it. They keep showing guns shooting at yeah. women, and and I I guess they were like, well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> we know what we're doing. We know exactly what's what's going on here. They got in trouble here. for the poster. Yeah, here it is. I'm gonna put it up on the on the screen for everyone to see. And then uh, there you go. And then all I can figure is that maybe the filmmaker uh, had a, a projection, had a projector at home, so they, it was, right. let's put the name on her, and let's let's take a picture of uh, one girl like laying in a shallow pool, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and the opening title sequence for License to Kill has more naked silhouette girls that are, that but it's are naked. As, but it's well, just it's, as bad. But, it, but growing up as a kid... I looked forward to the naked silhouette girls because you could but see things bounce. You could right. you can make out but, shapes. But it's and, still bad. And in and in the um, yeah, living daylights, and all like that. And in the in license to kill, um, instead of the barrel of the gun at the beginning, they had a camera, and you went into the camera's eye. Well, now the the big you know, problem. It, it, realistically, think of it this way: it wasn't until the new. Daniel Craig Bond films, they did that with the Brosnan, uh, Pierce Brosnan films, where they had like the girls and all bad. that stuff. Right. Well, of but course they did, they did it better, but I'm it's just very, saying it wasn't TV until play. the new Daniel Craig Bond films where they kind they're treating it like a film, right? First, mm. not no, a but, gimmick. Mm. You know what I mean? Where it's like we got to get this title sequence in here because it's a Bond tradition. What I'm saying is they did the title sequence because they're Bond tradition, and unlike the other Bonds, they just look really hackneyed. They look like cheap MTV music videos, which is what they are. Well, you know, yeah. they're '80s cheap '80s music videos. My the the part that hurt me the most in the Living Daylight's opening one mm -hmm. is when Aha sings and the headlights dim. Okay. There was a headlight, and it went that away. Dimmed. <laughs> there was actually a headlight there, so we had the we it, it would no that's. But what that I was what like I'm, one, I think that was the, that was the one piece of imagery from the Aha song that they had to get into that right. video. I, I think dip. what I'm more or less getting at is mm -hmm. tradition is hard to break. And but it's not since hard to the do. Sean Con no, I understand. Since the Sean Connery films, they've always had those those types of hand fisted, you know, openings. No, and whether they're bad. they're done well or not, they don't care. They just they want that opening. You know, all I'm saying is that these were bad. Yes, they are bad. These two films. Thank you. I'm not That's disagreeing I'm with you. I'm, I'm not. not all, I'm not I'm knocking just, the whole open sequence. I'm just saying tradition is hard to break, and that's why I think they've gradually gotten better because they finally realize that you don't need all of that mumbo jumbo shit in the opening title sequence. But it, it has nothing. Good or bad has nothing to do with tradition. They just did a poor job of it. Well, yes, I'm agreeing with you that they they got they've gotten better, but I I, 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 I think I the reason they've gotten better, holy shit! 
I just think the reason they've gotten better is because filmmakers have gotten better. They had good filmmakers back in the eighties. Not not as many, but they had them. They they really weren't doing James Bond films. I'll tell you that right now. Apparently, apparently not. (laughs) Because if you look at just about every Bond film in the eighties, not that good. Mm -hmm. Not that good. Track record pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, uh, let's get into the plot a little bit about Living Daylights. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of all over the place. Um, it's kind of all over the place. The, the, the main character, Kozlov, who Mm -hmm. I can't, actually, I'll look him up because he's actually not Russian. He's, uh, his name is, uh, Jerome Crabbe, which is probably Mm -hmm. Swedish or something, but he's a familiar face. He's been in a lot of movies. Yes. He's from the Netherlands, um, but James Bond is involved in, uh, supposedly in in a in a uh, defection. They're assisting him defecting from the from Russia correct. from the Soviet Union. That is correct. And his main job is to kill a sniper that's going to be posted at the window, and he decides against it at the last minute because it's a pretty because girl who apparently doesn't know how to vagina. use a weapon. Correct. Right. He uh, he's got a soft spot for women always. I don't understand, and how James Bond hasn't been killed yet because he he's always fucking around with women. Whether uh-huh. it be he's not killing the sniper like he's supposed to or instead of doing his job, he's getting laid. And I'm not defaulting him for that. I think that's great if you can do that. But I just want to know how he lives so long. How he's not dead. He's, because he is. That's why, was like, that's why we have a different Bond every ten years or so. <laughs> You gotta it's all the them. same guy. It's all the same yeah. guy with a different. Now face. I'm sorry, you're, um, you're not you're not good secret agents if you get shushed at an opera. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rule number one: <laughs> if, you're just, if you're talking about your your secret plot, it's your secret uh, mission, and someone goes shh, that means it's not so secret anymore. <laughs> so that's the bad. Well, we got troubles. Well, in defense of that, she might have just heard mumblings, not actually hearing what they're saying. A lot of these uh, opera folk, they're very snobby. Very, very. Sn- if you rustle, if you go in your shirt pocket for something, shh. Yeah, this you know from all your extensive opera. I've been to the opera. Okay. I've been to the opera. Okay. Dude, you're saying I don't have culture. I know. I'm, I'm saying you're 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 defending a wisecrack. You're def- you're arguing against a wisecrack I, I made. Yes. <laughs> Who's having fun? I'm having fun. <laughs> So, so they, and then they take him to the the uh, trans to the Trans Siberian Gas Orchestra. Line. <laughs> hey, you know where what? They get, where, where they give me where, work where the, on uh, this much sleep? You tell me. I I, I I like the fact that the Czechoslovakian woman, of course, is like manly, large, and big-breasted. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of woman you take me for? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they wanted to uh, defect him, and. They su- succeed, but then he's intercepted. About, about, about twelve minutes, yeah. Yeah, they yeah they he's intercepted again. So Bond decides to go in and try and rescue him yet again, and he ends up with the the, the female sniper, who he brings along with her, and it just it's so long and drawn. Just all of these like little building blocks, you know. It just kind of well, goes up, 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 up until you reach a certain point. And then it just all falls apart. It just—it's so long and drawn and boring. 
it doesn't flow well. You know, Casino Royale was a two and a half hour movie and was fantastic. You know, the the first Brosnan film was a was over a two hour film and was fantastic. This movie is like two hours and twelve minutes, and I hit the info button about halfway, or I found out it was halfway, and I'm just saying to myself, there's more than half of this movie left. I was hurting. Well, the main problem is that it's a basic, uh, it's a basic uh, double cross story. Right. I mean, it doesn't take long for even the casual viewer to realize that Kosov is is uh, had something else in mind, and he 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 purposely defected to come back to well, make it requested. look like something else was going on. He requested yeah. James Bond. That was his number one thing. He it's a setup. Yeah. So yeah. the whole thing's a setup and a double cross. And you know you're in trouble when you find out that your main Bond villain for this film is Joe Don Baker. <laughs> and there's nothing. There's nothing Wait, scary. You didn't like Walking about Tall. There's nothing scary about Joe Don Baker post Walking Tall. No, I know. There's really there's nothing. There's. Bat. He didn't have a baseball yeah. bat. He had a two by four, right? Two by four. So. And, and and then he has like all the wax statues of famous uh, military leaders, well, but they're that, all him. They're all him one? dressed as him. Yeah, but what about that one shot where he's just standing still and then moves <laughs> with yeah. all the other statues? Ironically, <laughs> not much of a difference. Right. It just and I'm looking at it and I'm like, they're trying to make us think he's a wax statue, and they're doing a very bad job. Yeah, <laughs> really, no one's buying it, it, this. That pretty sums up the whole, pretty much sums up the whole movie there, right. and then I mean, but Joe, you know, Joe Don Baker, and even as the main Bond villain, Joe Don Baker is like hardly in the film at all, and right. when he is, he's just you know, not scary, not intimidating, just you know, just some crazy guy that likes war, and then at the end when Bond finally meets him face to face, he turns into like the toy maker. It's these yeah. little boy cannons and shit shooting at him, and a little remote control. Like this, this is like gadgetry. The, this film really took the gadgetry to a um, ludicrous extent, and this is kind of, um, kind this of is, where the Daniel Craig films have moved away from the gadgetry, which I like. Right, I think now, that's what makes them interesting. You're going to hear a lot of comparisons between people saying, "Oh, Daniel Craig's doing the Dark Bond." Timothy Dalton already did that, and they attempted it with Timothy Dalton. But living, if you can, you can look at *License to Kill* and *Living Daylights*, or vice versa. Sorry, as mm-hmm. as their attempt to take Bond into the real world. But the problem was, I don't think they had their hearts really set in it, because if you, the second one more so, but the first one, if you're trying to put Bond in the real world, then why do we have the Toyville fight at the end? Why do we have him? Why do we have the cello uh, case toboggan scene? <laughs> why do we have the laser that cuts the car off, car top off of the chassis? Yeah. And well, you know, yeah. and if you have that laser on your car, why aren't you just pointing that at everything that's coming after you? <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, I, I think, I think what they really tried to do is they tried to do, and and because it was a different bond. Because it was a different Bond. I think they tried to go on a much grander scale. I think that's why one was so long. Yeah, they they tried to cram as much into it as possible. You had everything from, like you said, the Dark Bond to the Gadgets to not one. But the problem is is they they tried to go with a... I mean, Timothy Dalton, in both films, whatever you say, is a more serious Bond. He's not wisecracking. He's not grinning all over the place. He's not a clown. 
He's not the Roger right. Moore. He's he's the new answer to Roger Moore. He's the new this is the new Bond. That's why they're saying that's why they said the new Bond is deadlier than ever because he's supposed to be serious and dangerous and closer to the Bond in the books. Yeah. And okay, you can try that, but you can't try that and still have the cello toboggan scene. Of course not. You can't do that and still have all the wacky gadgets. You can't do that and have um have have the ghetto blaster. The yeah. We're calling it the ghetto blaster. That's, that's good. That's good. That's great. You know, and then and then try to to sell us the whole thing. Oh, now I'm going to work with Mujahideen. Oh, oh, of course you're working with the Mujahideen now. Yeah, and they played by uh, John Rhys Davies. No, no, John no? Rhys Davies. Oh, he John was Reece- Pushkin. Right. He was the yeah. That's right. He was the guy that they initially thought was bad, but really wasn't. Correct. And I'm just waiting for him to come out and just go indie. <laughs> I am the monarch of the sea. <laughs> but uh, I, I still, I still stand by that. I think they were trying to go bigger with this. They were trying to do things they didn't do before. Uh, you know, with the bomb thing, what, what uh, being what the, darker. What, you know, I, I, it, it just when it's a new bond, it's a new, it's it's a new bond, it's a new movie. I just think they were they were just trying to you know, break new ground, and they, they failed. Right, but but they, they failed miserably because they couldn't let go of the other parts. Yeah, they had a darker Bond who wasn't as smirky. Yeah, they tried to mix in real, like, geopolitical uh, things, like the Mojadin, but then you still have the gadgets, you still have the wacky shit. Um, it's, and I'm trying to separate the two in my head because I watched both of them in a row, but, uh, you, you, I mean, even... I mean, he still has. Uh, I'm gonna say that. I got tons of notes here. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what was the? What was my favorite part? Um, when 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 he goes on the date. That's another thing too. We have the date sequence. Bond goes on a date. This is why the film's boring to you. Yeah. Bond. There's goes too to many the things opera. like that. Bond goes to the opera. Bond goes on a date. So what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, is this? I, I, the, but not even, not even like a date, like a bond date. They're at a carnival. Who puts right. bond at a fucking a carnival? And he's going on all kinds of rides, and he's having a, a genuinely great time. Yeah. And it's like now, what? What is I have, this? Then, then the the guy working for Moscow uh, has his uh, partner killed when he when he's giving him the information on where Mushkin is. Right. With the door, he kills him with a with a sliding door. Yeah. He he kills him with a sliding door because because all facilities that have a sliding door that was able to you know comp- cut a person in half you know every right. sliding every every restaurant that has has a sliding door that has like five hundred pounds per square inch behind it has the ex the access panel in a clear box outside the building so anybody can access it. It's actually code in Europe for that. One of the the and what's well, interesting is on the screen now. One of the main henchmen, yeah, is the guy that strangles everyone with his fucking uh, headphones. The milkman, yeah, <laughs> the milkman. What? And I'm looking at him like this guy's. He's so familiar, and it hit me. I didn't have to look it up, but and it hit me. He played the brother of Hans, not Hans. Mm. Um, what's his face in Die Hard? The guy that, Carl. Uh, yeah, Carl's brother. Right, uh, the smaller feet than my sister. That guy. And, he, and then who do we have? And then who do we have in License to Kill? Um, you got uh, the the two the two agents from Die Hard. 
The two FBI agents from Die Hard are in License to Kill. Are what? No. You didn't, you didn't know? Yes. Oh, uh, you're talking about Robert Davy. Oh, yeah. Robert Davy and the black. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they Robert were in the Davey helicopter. The black guy. Just like Nam. I wasn't Just in Nam's uh, asshole. I was in Saigon. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're right. They were correct. So you um, have this this huge crossover between like uh, Die Hard and all these other films, which were all being kind of filmed simultaneously. I, th- I believe uh, yes. License to Kill was filmed around the same time uh, that Die Hard was finishing filming. Living Daylights was right. Living Daylights came out in '87. Die Hard came out in '88, and then License to Kill was in '89. And they were right. you're right. It's like they were all being filmed at the same time. They were just released at different times. They were like. Yeah, they, they were they were all filmed almost one after the other. Yep. So they, much. that overlap. They're just using guys that they knew, you know, just just like hey, sure. you know, let's go to this movie. Plus, Joel Silver knows everybody anyway. So well, that becomes that becomes even more relevant in uh, License to Kill because even the theme music by the same guy that did Die Hard. That's right. That's right. And, and, and so you know what? The director of of uh, the Living, um, I'm sorry, License to Kill, John Glenn. <sighs> He's, and I knew his name. I recognized it, and I'm like, "What the hell else has he done?" Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a different Glenn. There's another director, something Glenn. It's a different guy. Okay, Glenn Gardner. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Well, uh, hang on. I have to go back to the the door that cut the agent in half. Yeah. You cannot cut somebody in half with a restaurant sliding door in a film, and a not show me the body. And B, not have any blood anywhere. It's rated PG. I that you can't do that. If you're gonna cut a guy in half with a door, don't do it in a PG film. The last Bond film they rated PG, by the way. Another reason why it failed, in my in my uh, opinion. Right. I think I, we hit a point in in uh, cinematic history where having all this kind of violence and action happening on the screen was not acceptable. At a PG level, meaning like, like, all right, they're they're in the they're on a military air force base. Bond uh, discovered grabs a machine gun and fires out the airplane door, and all the soldiers on this military air air base immediately scatter. Right. If you watch that one scene, everybody goes, "Oh!" and they die behind cars. Not one of them just like picks up, grabs a gun, and shoots back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an, it's like an episode of A Team. That whole sequence is like an episode of the A Team. Well, traditionally, it, 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 every Bond movie, every Bond film it has been rated PG. I think uh, License to Kill was the first one rated R. Right. Which, so if you so, watch it, you just say to yourself, why is this rated R? I think it's PG-13. No, it's rated, according to IMDb, License to Kill is rated R. This one was PG-13. Okay. I might be thinking of... Uh, Living Daylights was PG. I know that. That's what I said. It was, the last, it was the last Bond film to be PG. Maybe it was the England. Fine. I was reading a lot of Engl- English, English stuff too, so maybe their PG thirteen version was over there, which doesn't make sense because they're a bit harsher than we are on that. Yeah, no, their ratings aren't even thirteen. It's like uh, TV fifteen. It was the equivalent of like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, but I don't, yeah. But if you if if you're doing a PG for PG thirteen film, don't be mm-hmm. cutting people in half with doors then, because yeah. there's an expectation. Yes, there is. The, even the is. balloon he picks up should have had blood on it. Some blood somewhere. Blood on the glass. Blood on the. There's. He cut a guy in half. There's gonna be some blood. Blood. <laughs> you would think, but uh, not for a PG. Ain't gonna happen. 
I guess. Maybe if it was filmed, you know, four or five years earlier, you got away with a little more with a PG. Mm-hmm. You know, in the earlier 80s. This was going towards the 90s. Things were getting a little bit... They were less lenient with that stuff. They were really yeah. trying to crack down on that shit. Which annoys yeah. me. And and between the, and again, I haven't watched a lot of Bond films in a while, besides the new ones. But it just seems to me like Bond just gets captured every five minutes. And his license to kill, he's captured like three times. I know we're not reviewing that one yet, but he gets captured like three times. Even in this one, though, he gets captured by the Mujahideen. He gets captured by the uh, by the uh, the Russian military. He gets captured by his own people, and uh, you know. Well, that's something that they. Uh, I guess it's just general. It's it's happened before in Bond now, films. I mean, it happened in Casino Royale too. He got caught. Yeah, but it just for me, it just gets a bit old after a while. So, oh, they caught him again. How how good is this guy? <laughs> yeah. How has now, he evaded death so many times when he's obviously just thinking with his dick half the time? You know? Probably the safest thing to do in that case. Maybe. Uh, hey, if I'm going to die, I'd, li- I'd like to get laid one last I'd, time. Um, now, I mean, Timothy, Timothy Dalton's performance in Living Daylights is, I think, just bland. I don't think he's intense. For a bond? Yeah. I mean, and just falling in love with this girl... Yeah. I mean, now, uh, I'll bring this up now, just to kind of bridge our talk between uh, this and License to Kill. One of the things you don't really get in Bond films that you do now with the Daniel Mm. Craig ones is a character arc. There's no real change in the Bond character from beginning to end. Now, if you look at Living Daylights and you look at License to Kill, there's no real change in the character. Not really, no. He's a softy. He's a softy for women. He does stuff to protect the women. He gets his man. There's no real character arc. With I think I honestly think for the first time ever, with the Daniel Craig Bonds, starting with Casino Royale, we have a character arc. There's actually a change in the character, not only in each film, but through the course of the the, uh, the three part. Series. What I think they're they're doing with the Daniel Craig stuff is they literally. Uh, Bond has been reborn with these movies. It's a reboot, yeah. Well, yeah, but but to the fact, to the point of where they they really show you his beginnings in Casino Royale, and even all the way up to the last film, they're still introducing little things from the traditional Bond films. And they're going to get to the point where Daniel Craig is going to be done with the movies, and they're going to have this whole, like you just said, this character... You know the the story arc and character arc where it's gonna be this not uh, series of movies, and when they're done and they move to a new Bond, it'll really be up to them whether or not they continue with that, or right. what what well, what are they gonna do after Daniel Craig is really well, the what, question. Well, what they, what they're doing is they're setting it up for the next people to take over. The point is what they've done with Daniel Craig is they've shown the origins of somebody who comes in as a serious agent and tests his faiths and his belief system. And right. what he's working for, and by the time you get to the end of Skyfall, you have this character arc where he's finally come to come to grips with who he is and what he's doing, and you he pretty much becomes Sean Connery's character. Whereas, right. and you, you you know he starts off just being dead serious, and you know you know this is a job, nothing more, and then by the time by the time you get to the end, you can fade it, you can actually fade into that Sean Connery character who's like, yeah, this is all fun and games. <laughs> this is with this is the life. 
Yeah. No, you're right. And that's and what they're doing. So my point what, is, what's, what's being what they've done for themselves with the new uh, Daniel Craig Bond films is they've set up blockbusters, and because each Daniel Craig film makes two three hundred million dollars in the U.S. alone domestically, it does phenomenal, and then worldwide it, it's doing, you know, epic blockbuster type money, and even with the Brosnan films, they didn't have that. Something turned, something happened, and it was this new direction. And whether or not now, they're setting themselves up for failure after Daniel Craig is remains to be seen. Now let's be fair too with the Brosnan ones. Goldeneye was good, was great. No, they did well. No, just not like well, these movies. But well, these two didn't do that well either. The Timothy Dalton ones didn't do no, well. No, I'm talking about the the Daniel Craig films. Oh, right, like right, the right. last film, Skyfall, cost two hundred million dollars. When and, have you and, ever heard of a Bond film costing that kind of money? Until these new ones. The great thing is it's all on the screen, dude. Yeah, you can see why it was two thousand. It's like exotic locales. It's high million. it's like the, the the chase sequences are fucking amazing. Yeah. And, I've heard and, I've heard the opening is just it gets you so into the film. It's great. It's a great yeah. opening chase sequence. I just um now like now license now Living Daylights was a four had a forty million dollar budget. Okay. According to Wikipedia. What did it do with Modo, the box office? What? What did it do at the box office? Uh, according uh, domestic total gross fifty million. And that's, does it have a worldwide? Worldwide's probably around two hundred. I think for both films it was close to two hundred. Because I think the the Timothy Dalton films, yeah, not only were they received pretty well by critics, they financially they did okay. They were they were mixed, and they didn't do well domestically. And that's right. where a lot of the attention was played to. Yeah, they did they did better overseas, but still, a four to one return is not what you're looking for when you're, you're putting this much time and effort into a major film franchise. You want more than you could get with any film. Actually, Box Office Mojo Mojo does not have a worldwide uh, total, so maybe right. it didn't I, go. I can't imagine that it didn't go at least in the UK. But it, from from what I saw, it, both films did just under or around two hundred million total. Okay. Because there's a lot Together of together or separately. separately. Separately, there's a lot of defenders of the films that like to throw those out there, saying, "See, they weren't disasters." Yeah, it's true, but the American audience is who these films are made for originally. And your your total gross for for uh, Daylights was fifty million, License to Kill thirty five million. Right, but this one actually lists uh, the foreign total, and it says one hundred and twenty one. So it's one hundred and fifty six million worldwide. Kill. I'm thinking License to Kill is the one that was closer to two hundred. Fine. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, f- financially, I'm sure it wasn't much more of a budget than The Living Daylights. Maybe if even if it doubled it, it's still it made back. Kill? It's, yeah. It was thirty-two million. That was, was even budget? less. They cut oh. back on the budget. Uh, so yeah, and thirty-two million made one hundred and fifty-six. Even with prints and advertising, to that's to me that's a hit. So people were interested in the second one more than The Living Daylights. Made a hundred million dollar profit. What? It Living Day. It, I'm talking about License to Kill. License to Kill. It, it, yeah. Domestic gross total was $35 million, Budget was $32 million. Yeah, but the foreign it did market... It well in America. Made, Great. I'm, I'm, and the foreign market... I'm just talking about financially. Every film does well to a certain point in the foreign market, and that's what everybody throws out there. The point was the American audiences, the people these films are pretty much made for, I'm sorry, right. it's this truth, didn't well, want the films. Between the two of them, the film that was the better film, that you and I agree right. was the better film, did worse. Yeah. Yes, it did, and I have my own, and I have my own reasons for that, which I think some people will agree with me on. But uh, Living Daylights was coming 
I mean, they were trying to, to to fix whatever damage was there from View to a Kill, and they were willing to switch people, but they weren't willing to switch uh, just the, the, the tone of the film. And you can't make a film that's more realistic and darker when you still have laser beams cutting the tops off cars. You know, and... and or, cutting hole, or cutting holes in the ice with, with a rim off the car. Or, I, or I the cello case to bargain. I agree with that to an extent. But I think if you look at, like, say... I don't know, Octopussy, for instance. What did Octopussy do? That's fairly close in... It's a different uh, era. What? It's a different era. You're getting it, you're, you know, the, the, it's changing. I'm just talking the... about the Bond films as a whole. Did the Bond, I mean, did a Bond film ever make more than 50, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50 million? Well, I mean... I mean, before the Brosnan yeah. films really came along? With with with, but dude, you're talking about changing the rate of inflation and trying to figure out how much the, you know. No, basic, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just no, talking no, no. about. I'm, I'm talking about it because I'm saying if you're going to start saying, did any Bond film ever make over 50 million? Great, but now you're going back 20 years where films didn't make over 20 million because that wasn't the, the price range. You got to compare them to with the budget. I'm going and back three it, three years for Octopussy. What I'm saying is, if you go go back two years, whatever, money's still going to change. And you're asking if you you said if any Bond film, if you say any Bond film, we're talking about 20 years back. All I'm saying is compare it to the budget. If you make a film for 30 million and you only get 30 million dollars out of the uh, box office, that wasn't a good investment. Don't care what the well, don't care what the world market is. They don't want to break even on any film. They want a film that bring back three, four times the amount. So, in comparison to a franchise that already has a built-in audience, and they couldn't, they, they couldn't even, and would license to kill, they couldn't bring in. That's why they didn't make. That's why they didn't make a Bond film for six years, because you know, on top of the fact that the studios were ha having financial troubles and were were besieged by lawsuits during that time period, which is one of the reasons why they ha were having a lot of budget issues with any films they were making. So you had films like this coming under lower budget. All I'm saying is, uh, I mean, I don't have all the, but I, I didn't bring up a list of all the budgets for all the Bond films, but compare them to their budgets. See what they're making versus what was spent on them. That's Because that's what the production's looking at. They're looking at the bottom line. Okay. That's all. I'm not arguing Octopussy. I, I don't know what Octopussy did. I was just simply bringing up that Right. On average, what uh -huh. does a Bond film usually bring in? Budget or not? Is but, anywhere from thirty to sixty million what a Bond film normally brings in? Did it fall within what was expected of the film at the box office? But, That's but, all. I'm not but, talking about if it cost ten million and it made no, sixty. But or what I'm saying is you can't whatever. ask that question unless you're adjusting for inflation because you're talking about a 50, 50 year time span. I was merely just talking about how much the, they bring in. I, I was know, just I was just talking about okay. I shouldn't have said any Bond film. Okay. All right. And I shouldn't have said that because the film that I brought up was Octopussy, which was only filmed four years prior, which, right. in my opinion, if it falls within the 80s, you're not really adjusting for in inflation within that three, four-year period anyway. What, what, what are you going to get for inflation in three or four years? You're not going to get anything. Depends on the time period. We had a, you know, it depends on what the, what the growth rate is. I'm saying there can be a difference. Not that much. They're really not that much. Really? Even during, even like in a recession, when everything, when the shit falls recession out of everything. Recession in the '80s didn't happen until the I'm late just, '80s. I'm, just, I'm saying like '89, '88, '89. I'm saying fluctuations do occur. So 
fine. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, let's you, not argue about you, it. I'm just saying, if you're going to ask for an average, at, you know, make sure it's a, it's for again for a series that's been going on this long, you have to you'd have to look at a, uh, adjust, a adjusted for inflation average. Compared okay. to the box offices at the time, James Bond films always did fairly well. I mean, sure, you had some that did less than others. But, I mean, it, again, we're just looking at these two films coming off of the uh, View to a Kill, which didn't do well. There is a marked decrease in public going to see the films. And when you bring a new Bond film, a, Bond, a new Bond in, Dalton's the new Bond, and he sees like a $15 million drop between his two films. You know, that's all they're going to look at. That's all they're going to see. Whether or not the f second film was better than the first, which critics and you and I agree with. So, you know, there's a... And again, I think I think a lot of the problem was that they were trying to do something new with Bond, but you still had all the old Bond people working on these films, and it just didn't gel. Okay. All right. You know. I agree. Uh, I put on the second film, because I think we should move into that one. Okay. Uh, and, even though we've kind of been talking about it the whole time. I just put it on in the background for anyone that's tuning in live or watching the, uh, the video later. Uh, and I don't even know where to, to go since we have been talking about both films back and forth. We haven't just reviewed one whole film. We can mm -hmm. talk about the plot a little bit about License to Kill, uh, which is Robert Davey is the main villain in the movie. You, there's no, there's, yeah, there's no doubt... Uh, in your mind that he's the villain. There's no surprise. He's the bad guy. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, in his uh, first major acting role, is his henchman, who I like in the movie. I think he's a good henchman. You know, just, Maybe uh, yeah. because he's gone on to do bigger and better things. You kind of look at him in the film, and uh, you, you, you just see him, and it's like, wow, that's Benicio Del Toro. He, just, he went on to get... Uh, more films, Oscar nominations, you know, things like that. You don't expect him to be in a Bond film as a bad guy. You just expect him the way you see him now in these big right. budget films that usually get nominated for Best Picture and blah, blah, blah. So uh, his friends uh, are having a wedding, but his one friend is just has this obsession well, with catching Sanchez. Well, it's Felix. It's Felix, who's a regular, Felix. who's a on and off regular character in the Bond series. Yes, the CIA agent Felix, right? Felix right. later, and he's attend. Bond is attending his wedding, and he has this obsession with Sanchez. He wants to catch him, so he basically brings Bond along with him to to catch Sanchez because they know of his location. And they want to go get him, right? And uh, they do it successfully. They do it successfully. And what I thought was kind of interesting is I just recently rewatched The Dark Knight Rises. And that whole opening in the beginning where they take the plane and they hook it up and then it's hanging by by a thread and uh -huh. hanging downward, they do that. That's how they catch Robert Davey right. in this movie. And I just thought that was kind of interesting because I I thought I'd never seen that before. And this movie did it 20-plus years earlier. I just thought mm -hmm. that was kind of interesting that yeah. they, they did. It was almost like I can't say it's an homage because I don't think Nolan even – knows about this movie on his radar. I don't think he's he cares, but you never know. He's British. He might have to do that. But. And then uh, and then uh the uh Sanchez character escapes at, like 12 hours later. Yes. And he, and uh, wreaks his rewenge. <clears throat> excuse me. On uh, he, he offers uh one of the agents 2 million dollars to let him go and of course he 
chokes him out. He's yelling, how dare you? I would never do that. He was in, pretends to be insulted. And then, of course, right. uh, of course, he just you find out that he did do it. Uh, that character is played by Everett McGill, who plays a bad guy in every film he's ever been in. Not Twin Peaks. He was a good guy in Twin Peaks. Was he a good guy in that? Yeah. I don't I don't remember Twin Peaks enough. He owned he owned the uh the gas station. Is that the only thing he's ever been good in? Like a it, good guy? Uh no. <laughs> I'm sure. So, he's only <laughs> he typecast as a bad guy, always. He, he 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 was the father in people under the stairs, wasn't he? Yes he was. Yes he was. Okay. <laughs> he was also in uh Silver right. Bullet with uh Corey right. Haim right. and Gary now, Busey. Now, so Sanchez, they catch Sanchez and have the wedding. Sanchez escapes late, uh, like the same day. That night goes back, uh, kills Felix's wife, and feeds him to a shark, which he survives. Right. Apparently. Yeah, I don't know how and that then, happens. And then, uh, well, he's lucky. You know, <clears throat> he's made he got his leg stuff. cut off or eaten off, like right. pretty much from the knee down. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a pretty serious wound. You, you bleed out, you die from that. Especially if that shark gets anywhere near the femoral artery. All right, then should, he had a piece we, of his arm all fucked up, so he's bleeding def- from two areas. All right, now, if, you're gonna defend the, if you're going to defend the uh, the um, opera scene from the first film, I'm going to defend the shark scene in the second one. So he made it, he, it's no problem. He made it away. Getting getting shushed, shushed at the opera is hey, you more pick your battles, I'll than, pick mine. <laughs> it's okay. That's and then fine. so Bond. Uh, M-, M grabs Bond because he's he's off assignment now because he's trying to track down the killer and so basically they revoke his license to kill saying you're you're uh, suspended because you're not following orders and he goes on a one man vendetta to try to kill Sanchez. Which is uh... the and so the problem is this isn't really a Bond film. If you take the Bond character out and insert uh, Patrick Swayze or Bruce Willis or anybody, it becomes a a, a vigilante cop film yeah because he's not on assignment at all yeah yeah i mean but, but even beyond that forget not being on assignment the this he's he's trying to take down a drug kingpin he's you know sneaking in pretending to be nothing he does is really in that bond that that worldly larger than life james bond persona it's a small it's a small story yeah yeah you're right uh just uh, just it's for the action. very fact that he go- he goes in undercover, uh, tries yeah. to be Sanchez's uh, friend, so to speak, you know, to say, hey, I have some information for you, makes good on the information, says, you know what, I'm surprised that it was only just the one person I gave you, and just keeps trying well, to get in good with him. It's the old ploy of inserting yourself into the agency and then making the guy tear his own agency apart by playing right. him psychologically. They used mm-hmm. it in The Punisher to some extent, the the, the yeah. second Punisher film. And it's been done in countless uh, cop films and noir films. It's not a new concept, obviously, and that doesn't make it a bad thing. No, but, I mean, again, it's, it's, a, it's an action film, so it's good, but it's not a good Bond film. They, they managed to put him in no. a more realistic uh, situation, but in doing so, they removed him from what makes a Bond film Bond film, which is the, the, you know, the secret agent stuff, the you know, international intrigue and all the wacky, and even occasionally gadgets, as long as they're cool. But in this case, it just comes down to him outsmarting a Colombian drug lord. Right, right. You know, and yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because 
you're right. It, it does take a lot away from what a Bond film traditionally has. And uh, if you were to just take, if you were to just take the the concept that they took in the movie, and they even just had a different, like you said, a different actor. Mm-hmm. Who uh, who knows? It, it it could have been better received. Maybe if you got a slightly different uh, script, a script, you know, it's right. like uh, um, the hell's the name of it? Uh, the, no shit. The, Bruce Willis did a movie uh, that was supposed to be dot. Huh? No, sorry. Good. <laughs> it was supposed to be the script was supposed to be Die Hard Four, and uh, what was it called? It was um, Tears of the Sun. Do you remember that? That that script was running around everywhere, and that was supposed right, to be Die Hard Four, and then they just decided to make it the film that it was. And uh, it just became Tears I, of the I, Sun. I, I don't remember it being Die Hard Four. I had a copy of Tears of the Sun screenplay, uh, which was a John Woo film. Right. But uh, I, I but at that point it wasn't a Die Hard movie, so I'm I not sure it was originally supposed to be. At one point, at one point they may have been trying to rewrite it as. I can definitely see that. I think that's what was happening they intended on making it die hard 4 and it just didn't work so well, it just it was, came it out as tears of the sun it would have been die hard 4 like in the amazon and who wants to see that you, you never, know well you, that's what i'm getting at it's like it's almost it seems like what's going on with this you know it, it it's mm-hmm. almost like it could have it should have been a different movie well and uh, like also don't said. forget first james bond film not really uh based off of uh, a novel uh off of an ian fleming novel that was uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, right? Was that the very first one? Or are you talking about Casino Royale? I'm saying License to Kill is the first film not to be oh, really oh, 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 oh. a Fleming no, no. novel. I misheard so, you. Sorry. So it, it's there's, you know, maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. I mean, and, and also, let's, let's be fair. It's also a bad action film in some regards. CIA oh, yeah. agent winds up uh, horribly mutilated. His wife killed after his, his uh, wedding, right? CIA right. agent. They can't get a pathologist in to uh, to examine him, and uh, that knows the difference between a chainsaw attack and a shark bite. Right. And apparently, don't put any men on on trying to track down who did this. So it comes down to just James Bond and his big black friend running around trying to do it on their own. Right. And so, whose, so whose name was Sharky? Right, Sharky. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so. My, so, what reality are we in where a CIA agent is, is attacked after his wedding, most likely by the person he just picked up yesterday who escaped, and there's no real effort on the, on the uh, agency to, you know, avenge this guy's his attack or track down the guy? Really? It just, it, there's nobody? It, it just dries up right there. It's, I mean, could you also say that it's, that's also lazy screenwriting as well? Or do you think something got lost in the translation when it went from uh, uh, page to, to film? I think it's lazy. Yeah, I think it's lazy. But I, but I think I think the whole setup's but the setup's lazy intentionally because again it's it's what you what you would call a bad action film whether or not you whether or not the plot makes a hundred percent sense you're right. going for the action. So I'm not True. you know I'm not criticizing you know going to tear it down totally on logic but. Again, that's like, for me. That's a major stumbling point there, you know. And then, and I also don't think electric eels work that way. I <laughs> they don't. Wrong. I they don't, really don't. I don't think electric eels work that way. I don't think maggots are that big. Uh, those well. were fishing. Those were fishing lures. They were too large to be maggots. 
Well, um, they were they were pretending to be maggots, but they were just rubber fishing lures. Yeah, I know. Because you just when the bed opened so, up, they had like right. something in there to make it look like it was moving. And yeah. they they had such a close shot on his hands in there. It was you could see bad... the rubber tails. It, it, it was even <laughs> such a bad attempt to make them look like they're moving. It was just like somebody under a tarp going like like with their hands pushing yeah. up. It was like two bumps. Yeah, maggots usually when they move, they usually move in like concentric uh, mounds in two locales. Yes. Uh, uh, it just. And I, I mean, like, and and you look at that scene, and is that just a scene that Timothy Dalton refused to do with real maggots? Because I'm sure they could have brought in real maggots. Don't forget the budget cuts. They're down to thirty-two million dollar budget now. What do maggots cost? I don't know. What, what, what do <laughs> maggot handlers cost? cost? What how, you know? If they're trying to get past the scene quickly, they're 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 spending all their money on the the uh, Wayne Newton Foundation and the the tr- tanker truck chase. So where do you cut the money? You cut the money on the uh, electric eel set. Could they have went to some like somewhere that actually does like the fishing and the like what what that place was said they su- supposedly did? Could they have just gone somewhere and said, "Hey, here's a drawer full of maggots because is what uh, we use to feed the fish." Wouldn't it have been easy to just do that? Maybe they didn't, maybe they just didn't want to deal with maggots on set at all. I don't. I, I think Timothy Dalton didn't want to stick his hands in a pile of maggots. <laughs> I can't really blame him, to be honest. Oh, I'm sh- he's made of tougher stuff than that. Don't know. You never know. know. Yeah, uh, it, it, and even some of the scenes do come off cheap too, like the bar, the bar fight, the bar uh, fight sequence mm-hmm. that was cheap. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, it, it just the better of the two, more enjoyable, but still equally bad. Thankfully, yeah, little, it wasn't as boring as the Living Daylights. A little, a little more realistic, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh. So right after, right after he uh, he uh, goes rogue at the at the uh, Hemingway house, mm-hmm. surrounded by five-toed cats. Why? And then he his first act is to is to shadow the shark sub. Now he's no longer an agent. Where did he just come up, come up with a manta ray costume? <laughs> Maybe he stole it from the shop. I mean, well, he had a stole. You know how much those things cost? Even I rental. Know I don't. <laughs> and you know he lost the deposit because he chucks the thing right away. Sure. And I look closely. That wasn't a. He's dead using manta- Sanchez's money anyway. That was no. That was before we got the money. Was that before the money? When he, that's how he gets the money. Is he, he tells them with the, oh, that's the match. Right. And then he ends up in the plane. And he, yes, you're right. Yeah. So that that threw me off a bit. It's like, oh man, if he was still an agent, I could see the manta ray costume. But after he's mm-hmm. just gone rogue, where does he just come up with a manta ray costume? Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on the manta ray costume, but yeah. Well, you know, it's just Bond usually goes for the ludicrous. These movies, I should say, go for the ludicrous. Sometimes. Oh, you mean like web slinging ninjas? Web slinging ninjas. When they brought in the ninjas, I was just, ah, I'm like, come on. The I know it's the 80s and ninjas are popular right now. And come on. And apparently, uh, the web slinging ninjas work for the Hong Kong DEA. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let them take you alive. <laughs> Does the DEA really get suicide pills? Yeah. You know, Does, uh, I, all right. Her, MI6, I can see. DEA? 
Yeah, I mean, th- those are some pretty effective cyanide pills that he... And he showed it to him first. He's like, ah, and then bites into it, and next thing you know, uh, it's fo- uh, you know, foamy, foamy. <laughs> you know, I read somewhere that uh, one of the rumors about Hitler is that he he apparently took a, a, a cyanide pill and then gave one to his dog, too, because <laughs> he loved his dog so much he didn't want his dog to get killed by, uh, by anybody else. The sad part is he probably had to wrap it in bacon and give it to him. <laughs> You know, yeah, my so, dog just just spit it out. Oh, and, oh, and when when he kills when um he tricks Sanchez into killing, uh, what's his name? Who always plays like a sleazy guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, what's his name? What the hell's his name? It's um, I got it here. You you got to look it up because I I don't have like living daylights in front of me. Um, when he puts him in the tank and depressurizes the tank and then open and then like cuts the valve so he pressurizes quickly. Right. I. I Again, I'm no expert. Like it's like electric eels. I'm no expert, but I don't think people explode like that. When well, that actually, I, I do think when you do the the pressure that way, it does go to the head first, and it will. Your head's not going to explode like that, but it will it's not fuck blow, your head. It's not going to blow like a balloon and well, then explode. I, you know what? As a kid, remembering that scene, I was looking forward to it when I was watching it. I was looking forward to that head explosion scene because I just remembered it looking like a like you said, like a balloon, literally like a rubber balloon, and just going yeah. pop. So, I'm not buying it. I just you know. Yeah, I don't. Th- yeah, your head will not blow up that way. But you know what? He's probably one I of mean, those actors we- that just doesn't give a shit about an IMDb because <laughs> it ain't coming up. He's been in the business so fucking long. He does doesn't. Do he, but he always fuck. plays he's, a sleazy probably, guy. So probably dead uh, too. Yeah, that guy's he, old as fuck. But I mean, and so again, even though we have uh, your quintessential, the first time you've ever had Bond really try to go like serious movie, you still got this ridiculous shit uh, because of budget or just because you, you still have like the last of the crews like clinging on to some of these Bond films. It's just right. Again, exploding heads and electric eel tank. Really? I mean, and the Bond books were just as stupid, too. He would make shit up at random. Oh, really? Yeah, homosexuals. Uh, he, he, he is still Homosexual. alive. His name is Anthony Zerby. Uh-huh. That's the actor. Uh, born in 1936. So, he's pushing one, one of the things Bond, Ian Fleming had in the Bond books was that uh, homosexuals can't whistle. What? Yeah, yeah. And uh, for for the I forget which film it was the Sean Connery one where there's the castle uh, the like Japanese castle on the edge of a cliff. Was that the one where he repri- he reprised his role in his sixties? Was it that movie? Not the sh- one with Kim Basinger? Not sure. That's why I said some which one, the one with the castle. But well, when I he, that when would Ian spark Fleming, a memory. Sorry. Right, but Ian Fleming right wrote that wrote that part, and uh, then when you go to film it, there are no castles on the coast of Japan. They had to oh. like fake it. <laughs> So that extent, so I mean, the books had just as much inaccuracies in them. He was just writing books for fun. He wasn't trying to be accurate. So right. you can kind of forgive his stuff like the electric eels or the. Uh, I mean, if you go back, but but then again, again, it's it's the filmmakers have to have to pick pick a pick a side. It going back to Living Daylights, there was a sequence they cut out that is supposedly on the DVD. I don't have the DVD uh, that they filmed where when he escapes after he fakes the the fakes the murder of. Uh, Mushkin, mm-hmm. when he's running on the rooftops, he gets away by jumping on a carpet and on on top of uh, electric lines and sliding down it, so it looks like a flying carpet, like a magic carpet. 
And they said they cut the scene because it was a bit too silly. But they kept the cello toboggan, toboggan scene. scene. So if you're going to cut the the well, mat carpet... I have to see the scene now for the carpet because it's on power lines. Yeah, so something to that And effect. the carpet, I would imagine, sticks straight out all four sides. It just looks like a big rectangle going down. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But that, that was the illusion because they were going to make it look like a magic carpet ride. Only because, like, how many power lines is it on? Is it on two? Is it on three? Is it go across five feet so it looks like it's spread? I don't know. Having not, having not seen the scene, I don't even want to debate it. All I'm saying is that they, they made a conscious decision to avoid one kind of uh, fanciful escape, right? but then left another one. I And not to defend them, but, and again, but not seeing the scene, I'm not going to, uh, the toboggan scene with the cello, I could tell you right now, without having seen the other one, probably it comes off a little more realistic. But still not that much. And still no. kind of wacky. I need to see this carpet scene now. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, um, during the bar fight scene, uh, Benicio Del Toro, and I was thinking that License to Kill would make a good Riff Tracks uh, type movie to put your own dialogue in. Uh-huh. And the the one scene that, and the whole movie, I'm thinking that, but the one scene that really struck it home for me uh, is in the bar scene where Benicio Del Toro, he takes his hand back with the knife and he goes back. And the only thing I'm thinking is, ole. <laughs> Just having him say, ole. Yeah, that was a, was a weird. It was a weird knife fighting uh, stance. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm thinking of when he does that. And I'm like, we, I'm gonna wrap a whole riff tracks around this one scene. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard to do, but I want it. I would love to do it just for that scene alone. Ole. <laughs> you know, and I, I've seen so many people. I'm sorry, I've seen so many people on the news groups that I was looking through, defending Timothy Dalton by saying, "Oh, but he 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 was able to convey." Uh, such complex emotions with his face. A great facial actor. I'm sorry, I call him bullshit on that because He's the same faces in Flash Gordon. Well, he they were like, <clears throat> oh, 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 and uh, with, without the little mustache, he's basically James Bond in Flash Gordon. I got I got to mention this. Speaking of um, speaking of Flash Gordon, hmm. uh, Dalton was Dalton originally turned down the role uh, in Living Daylights because he was already he had a conflicting schedule because he was filming Brenda Starr. Oh, the one with uh, Brooke Shields? Right, but because wow. of all the Bros- uh, Pierce Brosnan delays trying to get him in there, um, he ended up being able to take it because Brenda Starr was over by the time shooting started. Because So he, uh, almost, he almost wasn't a Bond person because he was filming Brenda Starr. <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan couldn't, uh, Remington still contract, he couldn't get out of it. Well, no, you know, and I, I read more into that. It's even more fucked than that. Is it what really? happened? What, it, what, it, it's Please it's all AB, was ABC. I mean, still, I think it was ABC. It was one of the major networks. Yeah, ABC. I, I, NBC, I'm saying one of those. I, I know that. I'm saying I think it was ABC. Oh, uh, they originally they were going to cancel it on that season. He was going to go do Bond. And what happened when you read into it, they realized, oh, this guy's been next Bond. This is going to be buku for us. You know, this will pick it up. So what they what they did is they approached. They they, they told him we're going to do another season. So you're still in your still in your contract. But what we're going to do, they approached the producers, and said, okay, listen, let's let's figure this out. Let's work this out so that uh, he can do both. 
I mean, we'll we'll change our shooting schedules for anything, and we'll 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 change schedules around so we can do the next season, and ha- we'll, you know we'll make sure that nothing that we do for for uh, Remington Steel interferes with the Bond film, so that way he can fulfill his contract with us here, and you do that. And one thing we're really trying to do was boost ratings by having James Bond in their in their mo- in their show. And they, he uh, must have really they believed that. He must have really believed that too, because he even went on to do a Coca Cola commercial, not being James Bond, but being like the secret agent type. That, that it was, was, have you ever seen that Coca-Cola commercial? Yeah, no, he was on the cover He was on the cover of uh, Newsweek, I think, or some major magazine uh, yeah. as Bond before he got the part. It was yeah. almost a given he was going to get the part. Uh, Timothy Dalton had already been offered it but had turned it down, so he was really the only person left to do it. And the ABC, by trying to do this whole trying to negotiate this whole thing where they'd get uh, all this free advertising by having the guy playing James Bond on their TV show fuck the deal up because then eventually the producer said no no you know what James Bond I think the quote was James Bond will never be Remington Steele Remington Steele will never be James Bond it's one or the other wow so he said you know you're not gonna they realized what, what ABC was trying to do and so that next to the deal and so they went ahead and did a couple more episodes and eventually dropped it after, I think it was six or eight, didn't, they dropped the last season. Something similar happened a few years earlier with Roger Moore, and that's why Sean Connery reprised uh, the role as James Bond in the early 80s. It was like a, a 1981 or 82 or 83, I forget what it was. That was hmm. the one with Kim Basinger, and something happened with Roger Moore, and basically Sean Connery was James Bond in his 50s uh, right. or his early 60s. And then they went back to Roger Moore because the whole dispute, whatever was happening, was resolved. And I don't remember. I'm just going on a very brief memory of of that. Um, I, I can't I can't think of it for some reason, like what happened. But I know something did happen, and that's why Sean Connery came back for the one movie. Well, never say it, never. It wasn't again. received well either. I think. Well, never say never again is not an official Bond film. Uh, by according to some people, because it was not done by the same group that was doing all the other Bond films. It wasn't, uh, I think, an Eon, E-O-N production. Okay. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why it might have been, it might have something to do with just rights. I don't know uh, too much about that. Yeah. Came out came out in 1983. Irving Kirshner. Wow. Didn't he do Empire Strikes Back? Who? Uh, yeah, he, he sure fucking did. He also did RoboCop 2. <laughs> the director of Never Say Never Again. He did uh, Empire Strikes Back. He did... Uh, he's, wow, he's done some big stuff. But anyway. Um, but yeah, I, although... You were saying it's not recognized as a Bond film? Right. it's not done by the same people? Correct. Yeah, he still plays James Bond, though, so... It's it's not an Eon production, and Eon. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's why. But something must have happened for them to even stray from all of that too. I mean, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they have gotten in, in into making that Bond movie? I mean, it, it's it's it, it was it was actually a licensed licensed Bond film too. So it, when I say right. it's not recognized, it's not recognized in the because uh, Eon were, were the ones that were labeling them James Bond twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. So right. they just skipped that in the numbering because it wasn't part of their storyline, so to speak. So if, if if you go out and you buy that new Bond fifty box set, this film it's might in not it. be in it. Oh, it is in it. No, it's it's in it. It's oh, okay. it's recognized. I'm saying that hardcore fans don't recognize it as part of the Bond series. The, again, the EON was doing because okay. 
because they were the ones that were numbering it and they were the ones doing all the films. You had like you know they had the same writers, the same producers, same directors working on this stuff. So that's why. I'll tell you what, financially it did pretty well. Made 160 million worldwide. Oh, only chunk. made 36, only 36 million here, but that's interesting. I wonder, is there any trivia on this? Yeah, whatever. We were not reviewing that one, so I don't care. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> two of, two official James Bond novels unrelated to this movie have titles using the word never. These are the 1993's Never Send Flowers, Never Dream of Dying. Hmm. Anyway. All right. Um, what do you want to do? Are we done? I never send, never send flowers. Never send. Well, them. I mean, they I, just I die. mean, do, do, do your. I mean, the reason we did this is because you were defending the Tim, Timothy Dalton films when we talked about James Bond. I what I was defending, and this don't take me out of context, please. I was just merely saying that there are much worse Bond films than the Timothy Dalton Bond films, and I think and, the Timothy Dalton Bond films get uh, a real bad rap. So, well, are they good or bad? I think the second one is a... Better than, it's better than it, the first. Is, it's not... It, I don't want to say it's so bad it's good, because that's that's not the right thing to say. Uh, I, did, I did enjoy it. Did not enjoy The Living Daylights. I remembered liking that more as a kid. I yeah. remembered liking The Living Daylights a lot more, you know, 25 years ago. God, 25 mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, I remember liking License to Kill and in rewatching it I still like License to Kill I still defend that Timothy Dalton um, albeit maybe not the best Bond choice I still think that there are, even though there are better Bonds there are worse movies than this than these two I, I really do. My- with all the mistakes, with all the flubs with all you know, whether it, Again, it acts like a Bond film or not, I still think there are worse Bond films. Again, there will always be Moonraker. That's just a cop-out. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, again, I, I, I say Timothy Dalton's is the weakest Bond only because I think he is the weakest as far as personality goes. I don't okay. think he had much of a personality beyond being Bond. Right. I think every other char- every other actor that's done Bond has at least brought a bit of, uh, like, personality beyond the character beyond the role so to speak into the character i think timothy dalton has played it straight as far as being bond and you know I, being worried every time a woman almost got hurt doesn't count as personality for me this counts as being wussy right no, uh, I, I also I, want to I, point I, out i yeah. kept track of the titularity and uh i have it right here do 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 uh titular uh the Living Daylights achieved titularity at 22 minutes, <laughs> but Laces to Kill achieved titularity at 35 minutes. It took them that long to get to the title of the, in the movie. So, Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Just, now, wait a minute. Uh, did you did you take... Uh, how long did they go with the original title, License Revoked? Because he tells Timothy Dalton that his License to Kill has been revoked. Oh, it's, it's the same scene that license. It to is kill the comes same up. scene. Yeah, your license. Oh, that's right. You're right. Duh. What am I talking about? Your license to kill has been revoked. Right. So it is the same scene. You're right. Mm-hmm. Thirty-five minutes, huh? Living daylights. Twenty-two minutes. I must have Much scared quicker. the living daylights out of her. Much quicker. <laughs> Much quicker. 
I gotta start keeping track of the titularity moments. I think it doesn't it's happen that often anymore. Some films don't have it, and I, I, and I like those. I like the films that yeah. don't, don't mention the title. In I the mean, film. Uh, can you imagine them trying to get Quantum of Solace? <laughs> this is a Quantum of Solace we're in right now. I remember reading there was this a movie quantum. club based out of New York City that like famous people. I think Penn Jillette was one of the guys in the group. It was this movie group, and you you had to be invited into it, and they would go see movies every weekend, and right. they had like bylaws to this movie group but one of the rules was when you're in the theater whenever somebody on screen said the name of the movie they cheered yay <laughs> and you know movies like pa was a bit too or da was a bit hard on and they said when they went to see malcolm x it was like the quietest cheer they ever did when like the <laughs> malcolm x is dead <laughs> <Like>, yay yay <laughs> 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 uh. But I like that idea of looking for titularity moments in the films. It's it's, it's like looking for the uh, mentions of semen in us. In uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, oh, like S. Um, I see it. Yeah. Uh, no, I know what you're gonna say, and I can't think of it. And uh, S I don't want TV. No. CSI. I don't There you go. I don't watch TV anymore. It's hard to think of the titles as I get older. CSI. Yeah. If you get the box at a CSI. And every time someone mentions semen in an episode, you skip the next episode. You can burn through like the entire series in like like uh, half a day. Probably, yeah, sure. Just boom, boom. you miss a lot of plot, but you do. Yeah, but that's okay. It's if you're not interested it's, it's in right, plot. The best ones are the ones where they mention it right in the opening credits. Oh, uh, seminal <laughs> fluids! Yay! <laughs> oh, lordy, lord. But yeah, speaking anyway. of seminal fluids, yeah, I, I didn't care for either of these James Bond films. Um, and I mean, even even with the, the license to kill, try the, you know they 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 go through all this trouble to make it a real world setting with a Colombian drug lord and a drug that, and then they have to put Wayne Newton in this huge meditation drome. Yeah, like 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 uh, televan televangelism, and Whoops. and they were obviously you playing me out. It was an accident. Whoops. Still an accident. <laughs> it's obvious that they were trying to make uh, fun of the televangelists in that time period, like especially uh, to Tommy Lee or uh, to Tammy Faye Baker and uh, yep. oh, what was it? Uh, no, Joe uh, Don Baker. Not Joe. Yeah. <laughs> no, yes, uh, yes. Baker. Yeah. Tammy Faye. It and was Tammy Faye sexual, Baker and what's his fucking name? Yeah, the, and the whole sexual uh, fiasco going on with that and and the God mockery. bless your soul. Right, but they couldn't. <laughs> I mean, Wade Newton was great. I love Wade Newton in that. You can't, you can't not like that character. My wife was arguing with me that it wasn't Wayne Newton. I, I said, "Don't argue with me about not this." Wayne Newton? <laughs> Why would that be? It's Wayne. See, he Wayne had Newton. a must. He had a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> I go Wayne if you know with if you know what Wayne Newton looks like at all, him having a tiny little pet pencil mustache shouldn't defer you from saying yeah that's wayne newton you should absolutely know what he looks like he's a weird looking guy and i even like the concept they had of them negotiating the price of their heroin through the donations being phoned into the tell to the uh, tele right. tele why can't i say tele tele, tele even the tele evangelical television show and but then instead of for some reason i guess they didn't want to offend any religion at whatsoever they make it this weird uh, meditation cult which just oh, takes it right yeah. out of reality. So, you know, just just call it a religion. Just call it a fucking. Why can't it be a t uh, an evangelical cult? You know. Oh, we wouldn't want to offend those people. Uh, he does say "God hey. bless" a bunch of times. 
you can say God bless all you want, yeah, but when the, so. I'm saying the facility was, you know, the woman in a pyramid, it was all meditation based. You know, it's just a, it's just a cheap, cheap, cheap way. It's right out of the seventies, by the way, you know, like the meditation center stuff. So you're, you're in the late eighties, try to be realistic and you're falling back to a seventies joke because you don't want to offend anybody in the current time that you're making fun of. Mm-hmm. It, it, they dropped the ball. That's all. Two could have been a good movie. It could have been a good action film, but it never would never was going to be a good Bond film. Yeah, they they really didn't. And and you know what's interesting? Uh, they didn't start getting the Bond films right again until Pierce Brosnan, but then that fell off because the last yeah. couple were pretty bad. Goldeneye you know? was great. Yeah, Goldeneye was great. And the then next, next one was Tomorrow Never Dies. Right, and, and that, that was had good. Michelle Yeoh in it. That was good. Uh, it was a weak. It was a weak villain. I felt. Even though yeah. I like the act, but it was still only a good one. Then after that, you had uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. It was had The World no. Is Not Enough, right? And that was bad. It was very bad. And then, and then Die Another Day with uh, Halle Berry was atrocious. It was yeah. It just the the fall off, and that's why Brosnan only did four movies. That's right. why I think Daniel Craig can potentially do seven eight movies. You know, Roger Moore did seven movies. Mm-hmm. Sean Connery, he was in double digits. Right. You know? So, he was, right? Was he? Did he do? I, I don't care. I never liked Sean Connery. I never liked Bond until Pierce Brosnan did it. I was never a fan of Bond as a kid. No, it wasn't no, no, until... No, 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 no. I saw yeah, Goldeneye... Sean Connery, he did, he did under 10. Yes, he did. Okay. I saw Goldeneye in the theater, and it was an epiphany. He's like, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> well, I saw it with you. All was of us e- went to see that. Yeah. Oh, that's because right, Brian it was, a, it, was a, it was a whole group. A whole group. It's of not us. realistic. I was like, "Shut the fuck up!" It's beautiful. Because <laughs> when and he jumped out of that plane, that's what he was complaining that, about. Yeah, yeah. Not, that couldn't happen at all. So it's okay. It's, it's a bomb. Well, I film. think I, I I opened the show with yeah. That if you want to talk about unrealistic, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Which I it's remember, fun. It's a fun scene, but yeah, not the most realistic. Uh, my favorite part of the film was where M's chastising him. And 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 I guess I was so hyped up on the real uh, on this. I, I thought like everybody was in on it with me. So uh, you get to M's part, and he and she calls him like a uh, you're, you're an alcoholic free lo- you know free lo- freelancing womanizer. And I, I just remember going yeah <laughs> in a silent theater. Everybody <laughs> turned and stared at me. I said, I'm sorry. I get it now. I'm excited. <laughs> and ironically, that's the time where they they stopped him uh, sleeping around so much because of the current right. eight the eight epidemic that was finally and, being and that's that's kind of like what i was saying before it's like they set themselves up for these huge blockbuster daniel craig bond films they the the, the pierce brosnan ones they they brought everyone back in you know with golden eye and tomorrow never dies they brought everyone back in and then they went and fucked up the next two mm-hmm. and they did casino royale with daniel craig made tons of money huge success here and worldwide was even better then they did the second one, same thing, didn't do as well as the first, but did good. And now this one is huge. What are they going to do? Are they going to eventually fuck it up? Uh, I don't know. I, depends I don't who's know. involved. Depends who's involved. Because some would say that Quantum of Solace wasn't, wasn't that good. And I just think... Oh, they, Quantum of Solace, they, was, they were all great. They were all great. Who didn't like Quantum of Solace? No, I think it wasn't uh, reviewed... Uh, well, I think it was reviewed okay, but not. 
I think Casino Royale was so good that Quantum of Solace had that sequel-itis problem where it's like, nah, not as good as the first, and here's all the problems. Well, it's and also I think one. It's better than that. I think it's a lot it, better than that. It's probably the only Bond film that kind of plays off as a direct sequel. I mean, it's it. Quantum of Solace starts literally like moments after uh, Casino Royale ends. Yep. yep. And the plot line still following characters and events from the first one. So I mean, it's technically. I, I, I again, I don't know enough about James Bond, but I'm pretty sure they never had a direct sequel in the Bond series up until then. Probably I think not. So, I think again again Timothy Dalton you watch Timothy Dalton one, first and second one you watch uh, all the Roger Moore's in a row I guarantee there's nothing really going on beyond the stories whereas in finally we have real filmmakers involved and there's a character arc in each film and there's a story arc going throughout the series uh, not directly related but at least as far as tone and what's happening in that universe and right. they're paying more attention to it as a real uh, I mean, I think we're seeing real film, real filmmakers who realize that if you're going to make a, a franchise, you have to draw people in with a story and characters and make sure they want to come back and find out what happened more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I mean, I I, sh- I could probably wrongly call it the Joss Whedon movement. I think we've seen a lot happening yeah. in the past decade. That's thanks to people like J.J. Abrams and Joss Whedon who are really uh, bringing back the idea of making these franchises more than just uh, uh, singular incidents but as you know broad scope long-term storylines yeah i'm looking at uh uh, skyfall and because i didn't know who directed it and i and we're just talking about it real quick sam mendez is the director for skyfall and he's more famously known as the director of american beauty Mm -hmm. um and road to perdition which i i think road to perdition is probably in some ways better than american beauty uh, two different yeah. types of films. Two different types of films. But the storytelling in Road to Perdition, the father-son relationship is so good. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of it kind of shocks me that Sam Mendes is the director of the James Bond film. Now, he's British. I don't know if that had anything uh, but to do with honestly, it, if that helped. If, if you're comparing those two films, though, I think the, main, the reason that Perdition is better is not the direction, but the screenplay. Yeah, that that's the I mean, because I I'm a fan of American Beauty, but as I've said before, I do not think it deserved best Oscar that year. Uh, was that 2000 and 1999? It lost to Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction lost against it. I think no, 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 no. Pulp Fiction lost to Forrest Gump in '94. '99. It lost to somebody. I'd have to. Uh oh. Joey's big brain is falling, failing. Yeah, well, that's what happens. Uh, winners, here we go. I have, a, I get the feeling that that was the best film in '99 for some reason. No, I'm talking best screenplay. It won for screenplay? best screenplay. Oh, okay, that's different. That was my argument. Oh, I thought you said it shouldn't have won best picture. I'm sorry. I, say, I, I might have misspoke. I, I meant best I, screenplay. I, I thought that's what you said. You know, I, I, I might have said that accidentally, but no, okay. screenplay. I'm a little sensitive when it comes to best screenplay awards, and again, American Beauty. Well, I love and the Pulp Fiction did win best screenplay in '94, though. Right, that that should have won. Yeah, it was Samuel well, yeah. Jackson who lost best supporting actor to, uh, to um, um, Ed Wood, Martin Landau. Martin Landau, who played yeah. Bela Lugosi. Yeah, I think that was deserved, though. Uh, it, it's a toss-up. You look back at both films and. 
you really could flip a coin on any given day. I don't, I don't know. know. Martin Landau as as Ed uh, as Lugosi was real good. He, he was real good, but I I, I get. I don't Does know. it hold up? That's the thing. Sam Jackson is kind of is kind of that character in a lot of his movies. He, he's kind of I, I don't know. You know, the, 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 the some of it, some of it comes down to biases at the time, whatever. You know, but what I do know is that these two James Bonds are are belong in the bad category of James right. Bond films. Okay. Not as bad as Die Another Day, maybe. Uh, There's no ice castles and not John Cleese, you know, beyond being funny. I read, oh, there was somebody earlier, because John Cleese ruined that series, too. When they put John Cleese in as the new Q. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, you know John, you're not funny anymore. And I, I some comedian said that John Cleese was funny before therapy, and now he's not funny now. Like somebody that knows him, like said, apparently right. he went through therapy. When he came out, he's like, he's just not funny anymore. It's just. Uh, these were the sh- uh, best original screenplays. Oh, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Because uh, sure. Could... No, might as well. Okay. Might as well. Uh, American Beauty one, written by Alan Ball. Mm-hmm. The other nominations, which lost, were Topsy Turvy, by Mike Lay, uh-huh. The yeah. Sixth Sense. By M. Night Six Sense should should have won Best Screenplay. Uh, Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson, which oh. we all know your your disdain for that. Oh, and Being John Malkovich by Charlie Kaufman. Being John Malkovich was a decent decent independent film. Uh, Magnolia was a huge piece of shit that nobody everybody was afraid to call a piece of shit because everyone like praised Boogie Night so much. Six Sense. I like Magnolia. You can prosecute how, me all you want. How could you? Horrible movie. Horrible, horrible movie. Is this what uh, we're six, reviewing next week now? Magnolia? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Uh, no, because then I have to watch that fucking thing again at three hour, three all and right, a half right, hour and right, shit. Right. Um, Sixth Sense should have won Best Screenplay. That was a, a layered, well-planned, well-structured screenplay. American Beauty I liked, but it had, had a couple of... Uh, I'd almost call lazy, but definitely flaws in the storytelling, especially the okay. whole uh, who kills who thing. I mean, it, 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 that's how it started out of out as originally. Originally, it was supposed to be uh, the Long Island Lolita. It was supposed to be a takeoff on that. And then eventually it turned into more of the serious movie, but they should have gotten rid of the whodunit aspect of it because that sucked, especially when it turns out to be the gay, gay, uh, gay bashing father because that's just so cliche. Go and ruin it for anyone. Jeez. What? Oh, how old is that movie? I don't care. You know, um, and and we've talked about that too. It's like ah, that movie's you know twelve years old or. But, that, you know, but that's my point old. too. But a movie that's forty years old, you're always going to get somebody young no, no. that's never seen it. But that's my point too. Is like the the fact that who kills him has no bearing on this movie whatsoever. No, it's not really now, a shock. Not only, it's not really not a only, shock. Not only does it have no bearing on the film, but it's a stupid answer having that having him being the person that kills him and you know maybe i should have mentioned that he dies but i i, I think that's i mean almost, it's that's, like would they, here's say that, they say that in the film too so i'm not ruining that either but i, I say it shouldn't have been in the film at all because it should have been it, it didn't serve any purpose except maybe for the stupid people that couldn't appreciate the film on the on the surface for what it was so that and so I, that's why i think it was a weakness of the screenplay like, would and you I, would, would you ever give anything away about fight club I no, mean, I would I would say no. 
No, but only again, because I would I would hate to deprive. And and what you're saying is is true about American Beauty. It doesn't take anything away what you gave away, but yeah, it, it just I think my mentality with giving things away is there's always going to be someone that's never seen it. Now, if they're our age, yeah, you should have seen it. But if my son, when he grows up to the point of where he hasn't seen it, I fully expect him to not have seen it because he's so young. But, he will eventually see it, and I would hate for him to ever have it that movie taken away in any way. So that's where where I was just going with you know giving no, things you're, away. You're right. We've had this debate in the past, but I pick and choose, and you know, uh, um, Citizen Kane. If it's Kane, a shitty movie, if you if uh, you know if I, if you're if you're ten year, if you're twenty years old and live in a closet, you you shouldn't. Everyone should know how Citizen Kane ends. It's not about the ending anymore uh no, you're, and you're going to hear about you're going to hear how it ends before you ever see it it's it's like uh any most classic films now you know how these films end before you even see the films that doesn't detract from the beauty of the classic film i i, I pick and choose which films i'm scared to give away anything on and again i i would i would give away that aspect of american beauty because i think it's a weak part of the film that has no bearing on anything else i would never give away the twist and fight club because that makes the whole movie the discovery of that is great yeah, you know, am I, am you I going to give away? Sure. Yeah, am I worried about giving away giving away like uh, a twist in the second Transformers film? No, because it was shit. <laughs> and and if that's and you, no one watching that movie is 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 hinging on the big surprise in the third act, whatever the hell that was, you know. So it depends what the movie is, and it depends what what the what the scope of the film is. Right. You can't. I mean, like even like uh, James Bond, like we. James Bond films. We we just gave away the fact that uh, Ruskoff is uh, pretty much punking James Bond. Yeah. But but it's revealed in the first half hour of the film, and if you're smart, you realized it before anybody else has in the movie because they kind of telegraph it. It's, it's like when it's like when uh, Felix gives James Bond the lighter as a gift. Yeah, it's like at the beginning uh, okay. of license uh, license to Well, that's going to be setting somebody on fire in about an hour and a half, I think. And and it's not even and, it's and not even him giving bets? him. Yeah, well, right. It's not even him giving him the 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 Zippo. It's him actually igniting it, and it's like this four foot flame. That's right. what really tips you off. It's not just like here's a lighter. It's here's a lighter. Try it out. Oh, you almost burned my wife's eyebrows off. <laughs> and then that's when you you get it in your head something's gonna uh, it's gonna be used later mm-hmm. and that type of filmmaking rears its ugly head quite a bit even today the setup well, I mean, for later well i mean but it's you have to set things up in any film and if you're if you're smart and you watch enough films you'll be able to catch things like that but yeah some are too blatant sometimes some are obvious than others definitely you know but 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 long story short um uh, let's let's rate these on IMDb. Okay. Sir. Um, I need to open up. Give me one second. I've got License to Kill open, but we have to do Living Daylights first. Correct. Give me one second. Sure. The current rating for Living Daylights is uh, oh Jesus, six point seven stars. Way too high. <laughs> way too which, high. Which where I was going with before, you know, what? How much money does a Bond film typically typically make, and all that? A lot of the Bond films are in the six and a half uh, rating range. If you look at a lot of them, even Quantum of Solace, I looked it up, six point seven. You know, there are a lot of people that just don't like James Bond, and and they That's they tend possible to... too. That's possible too, but it just seems like this is this is what happens with a Bond film as far as money goes, as far as 
uh, the average audience liking it or not. They're all in the six and a half, eh, sometimes seven. Uh, the new Skyfall uh, is 8.1, and Deserves Casino it. Royale is 7.9. So, I mean, those are very high as far as what... And those are based on you know thousands upon, if not hundreds of thousands of uh, reviews. But anyway, uh, <laughs> let's start off with The Living Daylight. 6.7, you said? Yeah, let's start at 5. 5? Okay. Starting at 5. Give me, give me a reason to go higher. Got anything? Five making it just average. All right. Average. Um, anything at all? I'd almost say to drop it one because I don't think... I, 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 I think it being so I will, boring. I will vote drop it one merely for the opening uh, girl montage. It was horrible. I don't think that's enough to drop at one. I think as a whole, it was so boring. Uh, and just the direction of where they were trying to go with Bond, they got so wrong. I uh, would say drop it, to a, drop it to a four. I'm not even thinking about ways to bring it up. Want to go down to three? No, no, no. I don't, th- I don't think Really? No, no. Nah, nah. I, I, think, I think four is, is adequate. Aha. Opening theme song. No three? No, I don't think it was that bad of a song either. I think they were Ghetto just trying Blaster? to trying to work with. I think they were just trying to work with a formula. Ghetto Blaster, that, I get down to a three for you. <laughs> you know what's funny about that scene too? Cello case toboggan, not going down any further for you. I thought that's why we put it at five. <sighs> okay, if we started at six, seven, and brought all these points up. We'd be all at right. three or two. Is it, so, so you think four is fair? Maybe that's how we should do it. Maybe we should start at what the current rating is and think of ways to bring it down or up. I, I, I would never give this film a 7, though. No, no, no. Like, we'll start at what it's currently rated at. Right. Like, it's 6.7, right. and we're if the like, toboggan scene brings it down, so now you're at 5.7. Okay. then six. I'm starting at 7 because there's no halves in here. Fine. So then you're down to 6. Right. Then you got the opening montage. You're down to 5. Right. Uh, based on just how boring... It is. Bring You're it down, down to, to four. four. Ghetto Blaster brings it to three, and I think you, we're what, done. You want to do the whole film just because of the Ghetto Blaster? Well, I'm thinking of ways to bring it down a point. I can't think of any ways to bring it up a point. I'm comfortable with a three for this film. What? A, yeah, that's uh, fine. Uh, I'm fine with that. Well, you know what I did find? Okay, maybe... Okay, let's not put the, the, do the Ghetto Blaster against it, only because I thought the scene was funny... Just because there's this guy in the room, he turns on the radio, music is blaring. Music that no one listens to, first of all, in the ghetto, anyway. Um, then, the the rocket, uh, the, the, it opens up, the flap opens up for the rocket, and then everyone runs out of the way. It's like, there's no preparation? He's okay. not gonna, he's not setting it up to say, okay, I'm shooting this, we're testing this now. They just run out of the way, like, oh my god, this guy's fucking crazy. And then right, shoots it three, and explodes gonna, the dummy. I'm going to throw three things at you to, to justify bringing us down to a three. Okay. Okay? I'm going right. to bring up the uh, sliding door, <laughs> cutting a guy in half with no blood. I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to bring, okay. bring up James Bond opening fire at a military base and all the soldiers scatter instead of immediately firing back. And I'm going to throw to you Ruskoff flying his, his car into a plane... That explodes and surviving. I would say yes to all of that. 
okay. except for three, the sliding door. Except for the sliding door, only for the reason that it was rated PG. You then, then don't cut a man in half. But you can't cut a man in half and have it be like cauterized or something. No. It just, I don't, th- they just didn't have the rating. If there then, was blood, it would be an automatic R. Then don't do it. And then, then don't cut him in half. All right, three it is. I'm three rating that is. one three. Okay. There we go. And then License to Kill is 6.5. 6.5. Yeah, starting at, so starting at 7, rounding okay. up. Anything, what do you want to detract for? I'm det- I, I, need the, I need to vote one detraction for the whole chainsaw versus shark bite bullshit. <laughs> They're in Florida, too, right? It's in Florida. Uh, That's yeah, it's in Florida. Was that Florida? It had to be Florida. Cubans. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. There's not. Yeah, no. Yeah. Pathologists there don't know the difference between a chainsaw and a shark bite. Yeah. Sharky okay. did, though. Sharky did. All right, marking it down to th- six. Okay. Any six. reason to go down to five? Um, you know, I, I in, oh. my, in, in my head, head, six seems appropriate. The head of the CIA, yeah, one of the, or not head, but like one of the a major CIA agent doesn't have decent uh, security system, so like all these gunmen can like sneak into his house. Oh right, <laughs> it's a summer home. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I I would say if we do anything, I, I say nothing lower than a five because I still enjoy I- it. Agreed. I'm willing to give it a five. You know, I I would say keep it at six. No. Just because it's so much more enjoyable than the living daylights. Olay. No, I give it a five. Olay. (laughs) Five it is. Yes? Five it is. Fine. All right, we're there. I I can live with five. I can't live with anything less than five. No, we'll we'll keep it at five. Sorry there was a problem. Screw you. Yeah, we'll get that up there at some point. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about we end the show? Fine. How about we do that? Ba-da-da-da! Da-da! <laughs> anyway. All right, everybody. Thank you uh, for joining us for Movie Sucktastic, episode 92. You can uh, listen to all of our podcasts at iTunes. Leave us reviews. You can download all of our podcasts at our website at moviesucktastic.com. You can also um, you can listen to them live. Well, not live, but you can listen to them there as well. You can leave us voicemail at 908-514-4470. You can leave us email at themovieguys at moviesucktastic.com. You got anything to add? da 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 All right, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.